This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Some of us pump, and some of us slump. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity himself, Wolfie T. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. What's up? Not much, Wolfie. How have you been? Been uh, watching entirely too many movies. The been, last couple uh, months. I've been keeping track on Letterboxd at Positively yes. Wolf One. Yes, you can you can follow me on Letterboxd to see all the different movies I've been watching. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just been tearing it up the last few months. I don't know what got into me, but <laughs> been watching a lot. Finally got to see the King of Comedy. Yeah, saw that. Can confirm that Joker did heavily borrow from it. <laughs> Sure did. <laughs> this is a true criticism of Joker. I, I can confirm. They borrow for they borrow the actor from it. <laughs> they do change a few things, but um, yeah. no, the King of Comedy is fucking great. <laughs> Rupert Pupkin uh, becomes Jerry Lee Lewis, <laughs> so, the Joker. You know. It, I tweeted this and nobody seemed to have seen it, but uh, did you know that the King of Comedy is actually the Mike Lindell origin story? <laughs> I didn't see the tweet. They do uh, have an uncanny resemblance, especially the screen grab you have where he's got his arms <laughs> up like this. They're very high energy, very talkative, psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been memed uh, into existence the past couple of years where people will have a corny joke and then they'll just have the picture of the the cover or the theatrical poster of the King of Comedy where Rob De Niro is kind of trying to say, you know, thank you to the audience for laughing at his hilarious joke. Yeah. Like he's taking a little bow. <laughs> One of them was when you're at the cashier at the grocery store and your item won't scan. So you just say, well, must be free then. <laughs> the King of Comedy. The King of, the king of Comedy. <laughs> Uh, that was a good all right one. yeah well we are in the midst of our summer series on 90s action films we've already done two rumble in the bronx and true lies and now we come to the third diehard film diehard with a vengeance yes we've already discussed one and two on this show both christmas episodes both christmas movies diehard three very much a summer movie Yes. Perfect for the summer of 90s action. A change of pace. As I said, this this is the... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's a real formula buster for the franchise. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) And the, well, the fourth one takes place over July 4th weekend, does it not? It does. That's another summer one. And well, the fifth one's in Russia, but I don't, I can't, couldn't tell you what time of year it was. It's gray. 
<laughs> Isn't everything in Russia? It's very gray. They wear heavy coats sometimes, so it might be winter. Yeah, I I, I actually, uh, to prepare for this, I actually watched all five Die Hard movies back to back to back. <laughs> To back in, uh, to in back. one day, even it was probably not a good idea, but it I was did in it. one day you watched five diehard films. I did, it was like a full time <laughs> uh job that day. <laughs> that's like uh, it's, well, some of them are over two hours, yeah, most of them are. I think only the last one is short, so it's got to be right around 11 hours. You spend watching Die Hard 10 and a half, 11 hours, yeah, probably. <laughs> I started early. I uh, I started around nine o'clock in the morning. So, did you measure uh, by meals? (laughs) (laughs) I took a little break. I've eaten two meals during my diehard viewing, so I'm almost done. (laughs) I took a little break between each movie. It wasn't like it was like consecutive, like no breaks it was you know i'd stop for a half hour or so between each one or an hour you know that wasn't too bad recess um, you got one hour then it's back <laughs> to die hard <laughs> i will say uh it ends on a, a real stinker <laughs> it sure does <laughs> i had heard uh, that it was very bad i heard uh what a good day uh, to a die good hard. day i thought it was a good day to die hard until i watched a good day to die hard Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's about as bad as everybody says it is. It feels, I don't know, not like a Die Hard movie, which I feel like I Jay Courtney was the Taylor Kitsch of the early teens. Of course, that was Taylor Kitsch's problems were the early teens as well. I struggled to review a good day to Die Hard on Letterboxd without using the R word <laughs> <laughs> because. That's all I could think of when I was watching it, is this is very R-word. Yeah, people tried to make Jay Courtney happen around that time, where he was one of the villains in uh, Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise. Yeah, I've been, I've incarnation. been the Jack Reacher stuff. He was in that. Uh, well, and then he was in Suicide Squad, which also bombed. Well, it was okay. Relatively. That. I mean, it wasn't a huge bomb or anything, but I guess it didn't meet... Warner Brothers lofty standards. Using the good version yes. of it. Yeah. Which may not it even was. be the, the best version of that one because we still have the David Ayer cut. Yeah. Got to really say Zolly doesn't get them first. Yeah. And Batgirl. Need to see both of them. And the Cavill cut of The Flash. David Ayer and his alleged uh, stolen valor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as I said uh, in a True Lies episode, Die Hard with a Vengeance was the first rated R film I saw in the theater, followed a couple of years later by Lethal Weapon 4, but it was a movie where my parents figured there's not going to be too much tits and sex in here. But even, okay, so there's the scene towards the end where Simon climbs on top of his best gal and uh, they kind of dis uh disrobe each other so to say a little bit but i remember my mom looking over like doing the hand motion like (laughs) put your head down look away (laughs) but there's no nudity to speak of so didn't miss much they were interrupted by gunfire to be Mm -hmm. fair yeah the diary with a vengeance i'm not sure about four and five 
in the franchise. But the third follows tradition of being an entirely different movie before it becomes a Die Hard movie. Die Hard 1 was the Commando sequel, which switched hands and you know became Die Hard with Bruce Willis, of course. Now, I know... Almost, almost Die Hard with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> well, you remember correctly. Good thing he didn't hold him to that contract. <laughs> he would have but... today, because that would be like uh, Liam Neeson. Like, yeah. I got to do the the taken quadrility. <laughs> <laughs> now, the second one, I know we talked about it on our show with the MMC. There were our guests for that Christmas episode. But I forget what that one was. But uh, this third one, initially titled Simon Says, at one point they tried to make it a Lethal Weapon sequel. I'm not sure if this was, because it went into Turnaround, and then Fox bought it, I think. And so I'm not sure if, when it was attached to Warner Brothers and Lethal Weapon, if that was before or after Lethal Weapon 3, which was 92. So I'm not sure if this was like originally supposed to be instead of that, but... Um, yeah, it finally came around to being a Die Hard sequel. Uh, there, it was also at one point supposed to be a, a Brandon Lee vehicle, and <laughs> for obvious well, reasons, could not be out. did not work out. So I think that's why they shopped it around. Uh, it was supposed to be Brandon Lee, and then a, a female co-lead in the Sam Jackson character. So it was rewritten to fit Die Hard, but of course, yes. you reunite the two guys from Pulp Fiction. Sure. Because that was the big hit of the 1994. <laughs> the two guys that share uh, 10 seconds know. of screen time. Yeah, I was going to say, are they even on screen together? Well, t- technically, they're in two scenes together. I guess at the bar, right? Yeah. They kind of cross them, paths. Calls them punchy. <laughs> <laughs> but that was when Bruce Willis asked for uh, red apples. And I was, as a kid, I'm like, God, why is he buying apples at a bar? <laughs> Didn't make sense. Yeah, and then he shoots him in the toilet uh, in his apartment. So that's no, that's like five uh, seconds. That's Travolta gets shot in the toilet. Oh yeah, sorry. And Travolta calls him punchy. I was mixing it up. I think Willis and Sam Jackson they just walk by each other in the bar when they're yeah having their meetings with uh, Marcellus Wallace. So for some reason I just was had John Travolta in my head the whole time. Oh jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> so I guess we can get into the details. This movie was later remade as 12 rounds. <laughs> it was. With your favorite. Unofficially. <laughs> Mr. John can't see me Cena. And that dude from the wire. <laughs> I still want to get to the bottom of that. I swear I got that from you. You tell me I gave that to you? You gave it to me. You gave me a copy of 12 rounds, uh, whatever the extended cut is called. Well, I feel like you challenged me to watch it or something. You didn't even, no, I didn't. I feel like somebody forced me to watch it. Because I had you, no. I think I, you might have got it from somebody else. And then you're like, I don't want this. You take it. So I took <laughs> it. Because it's not even in like a real case. Yeah, it does. It does sound right. But I can't, I can't think of who would have given it to me. Or you got it from like a going out of business sale at a video store or something. No, I would not. I would not buy a John Cena movie. <laughs> it's okay movie. 
I haven't watched it since you gave it to me. I've been meaning to, <laughs> but um, my favorite scene in there always is when they literally launder the money that they stole. <laughs> it's like, that's not what they mean. <laughs> like it's in the washing machine. <laughs> like for real. Like, that's not what they mean. Yeah, like in Loaded Weapon 1 and... <laughs> It's funny because in uh, To Live and Die in L.A., it's part of the counterfeiting process that William Defoe uses the, he uses the uh, dryer to just kind of, you know, kind of break in the bills a little bit. Yeah. He puts the bills tear. a bunch of poker chips in the dryer and just turns it on. So it was kind of funny. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he's involved in money laundering, but he's not laundering money with that, but it's still kind of funny. Well, that's a little different because he he's counterfeiting. So yeah, he's, he's got fresh bills that he wants to uh, mm-hmm. make seem like they're worn and used so yeah. they don't uh, draw attention. Because then he has to kind of launder. Well, I guess it's everyone else's job to launder the 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 counterfeit money. True, but I was going to make a joke, but I probably shouldn't. It would be in bad taste. Well, I don't know if I've heard people describe this show as being in good taste. It would have been uh, about a uh, local incident that happened around 2020 and uh, a counterfeit 20. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Well, I guess I can get to the details real quick, though. Just real quick. Real quick. <laughs> when did you first see this? I remember I watched it on TV years ago. And not really liking it, but I don't think I watched it like all the way through until God, maybe, might have even been after we started the podcast. I don't know, but probably about within the last ten years, I finally gave it its its uh, uh, a good chance to to you know wow me. And I watched it mm-hmm. start to finish finally. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So um, I, I didn't give it a fair shot at first. I wrote it off as uh, not very good. And then when I finally actually gave it a chance, I liked it a lot. So, um, but that was probably within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I had it on VHS and damn near wore it out. Probably seen this one more than any other Die Hard. Probably about tied with the first one. But. Now, I, I think I had seen, I think Live Free or Die Hard was the first one that I had seen in its entirety. That was the first one, the only one I saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went back and watched the other ones later. So, um, this point will catch up. So, Great. I have a soft spot for the fourth one because of that. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the fourth one. It's a fire sale. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> Back when Justin Long was a hot item for a hot minute. God, he was in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. The late aughts was, was his world. We're just living in it because he was doing all those Apple commercials. I just watched another movie where he was uh, Christina Ricci's boyfriend. Christina Ricci's boyfriend. What movie? After Dot Life. I never saw that. It's really bad. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> Liam Neeson is a uh, mortician. Hmm. And um, 
Christina Ricci dies, or maybe she doesn't, but like she's in the morgue uh, or the funeral home, and uh, Liam Neeson's trying to convince her that she's actually dead. And then like the whole point is like you have to guess whether she's dead or not. Mm. And she's naked through a lot of it. So I mean well, that's, that's you're into that. Well, I, I am. I'm a Christina Ricci <laughs> fan. I grew up with the girl, for God's sakes. But uh and she was always older than me, of course. So it was it was the it was perfectly normal to look up to her. It was okay, yes. And uh, but yeah, I guess if I'm gonna go for that, I'll probably just watch Black Snake Moan. But yeah, that's been on my uh DVR. Uh, for about a year now, been something I've been wanting to re- revisit. I remember it being good. Yeah, I just saw it the one time it came out, but I remember liking what I saw in more ways than one. <laughs> Another Sam Jackson movie. Mm-hmm. He's in a lot of stuff, too. He is. His credits include IMDb. <laughs> so... You got the director from the first film back again, John McTiernan. He's back. I forgot who directed the second one. Um, was it Rennie Harlan? Rennie, that's right. Rennie Harlan did a decent job. Who just had a banger of a of a year that year with both this and Ford Fairlane. I think coming out, if it wasn't the same year, they were within a year of each other. I would say Fairlane was like ninety, and uh, Die Hard Two was like eighty. No, Die Hard Two was definitely the nineties because. There are several lines in there about get with it. It's the nineties, John. Yeah. Die Hard 2 came out in 1990. Let's see the release date. July 3rd, 1990. July 4th weekend. It's another Christmas movie in July. <laughs> July 4th. And Ford Fairlane. 1990. Well, Ford Ford Fairlane was buried by the um July eleventh. A week apart. Yeah. <laughs> but Ford Fairlane was, was buried by uh, gay Hollywood as a, a uh, revenge against Dice, Andrew Dice Clay, for spreading homophobia throughout the country, single-handedly mm. causing homophobia across the country. It was the only reason for it. And so he had to be crushed by the, the gay people in charge of Hollywood. And so mm-hmm. they... They buried his movie and ended his movie contract. Of course. He was supposed to do like two more. No, I think they just wasted too much money on that uh, koala bear. So then they made a Vice TV documentary about it 25 years later and they admitted to it. All the gay people in charge did? I guess it was like 30 years later. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> they did an episode of Dark Side of Comedy about it and they're like, yeah, we did it. We buried that. <laughs> As I said, directed by uh, John McTiernan, written by Jonathan Hensley, with uh, certain original characters by Roderick Thorpe. So this Jonathan Hensley, you would know from such fare as Armageddon, Punisher, The Rock, Saint, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Con Air, The Adventures of uh, Young Indiana Jones, lots of stuff. Got some good movies. Did the original Jumanji also. Mm. Well, I guess he did the original Jumanji and then the other one is based on his film. 
Oh, okay. I guess I should have expanded. Bruce Willis, of course, plays John McClane, our hero. Jeremy Irons is the villain. Simon, or Simon Peter Gruber, as is revealed later on. Yeah, about an hour and 20 minutes in. Peter Krieg. Was a Peter Creek or Peter Creed was his, I guess, alias fake name. Because he was born Simon Peter Simon Peter Gruber. Is it Krieg or something like that? Yeah. Something very German. Yeah. That would make sense. Blitzkrieg. <laughs> That's German, right? Yeah. Samuel Jackson as Zeus is in Father of Apollo. <laughs> Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus. Zeus as in Zeus from No Holds Barred. This is a challenge. As in the poster behind you. Of course, I can't see. Is he in the bottom left corner or no? It'd be my uh, bottom left corner. He's right in the middle. Your your mic was in the way. There we go. Now I can see him. Graham Greene. Always been a fan of him ever since Dances with Wolves. He plays Joe Lambert. Colleen Camp played uh, Connie. Larry Brigman was Arthur Cobb. He was the CO. He was the head sheriff in charge <laughs> for all intents think, and purposes. Do you think that was his natural hair? <laughs> I don't know. Looking at this IMDb picture is making me wonder. <laughs> Definitely looks like he has a thick head of hair. Late into his career, but it's the exact same haircut as Die Hard with a Vengeance. Let's see, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm looking. That's, right that's now. like 20 years after Die Hard with a Vengeance, and he's got the same haircut. It's like the quintessential toupee haircut. <laughs> like there's a part in the middle, but like you, like it's so thick you can't even see where it like parts. You know what I mean? And then it's. It's like it looks too high on the forehead. Right. It's like your hairline shouldn't have receded a tiny bit if your hair is that thick, right? <laughs> There's a picture on here called Salty in parentheses Larry Brigman drowning. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't say what it's from or oh maybe mm. side bay each, maybe. I don't know. But uh it's a picture of him drowning, wearing like a skipper's cap. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Peck plays Ricky Walsh. Nick Wyman played Targo. Sam Phillips, not of the record fame. This is a, a, a female actress. She played Kataya. Katya. Katya. Katya or Katya. So I'm trying to figure out what else is she in? She was like the girlfriend of the other guy. Yeah. Who but... turns on him at the end and goes with Simon. Yeah, but it seems like they've been planning this for a while. She's the <laughs> one that ends up with Simon at the end. Yeah. She only has three acting credits. Die with a Vengeance. The End of Violence from 97, whatever that is. And an episode of the Gilmore Girls. It looks like she spent most of her career as a musician. Yes. Contemporary Christian music singer. Because when I think uh, contemporary Christian music, I think of a woman with a huge hook blade just gashing. 
just excessively reserve slicing over and over again, opening up all of his arteries and <laughs> spraying blood over the wall. She must not have had a SAG card at the time because I don't think she has a line. She uh, her music albums are under the name Leslie Phillips. Mm. Although it says uh, she began to be disillusioned with the Christian music business due mostly to its intolerance of her brutally honest approach to her faith. And at the same around the same time, she met and married T-Bone Burnett. T-Bone Burnett. Hmm. T-Bone. Sounds like a wrestler. Talk about the T-Bone. <laughs> Rounding out the cast is Kevin Chamberlain as Charlie Weiss. Kind of the funny, uh, nerdy lab guy. Knows everything about the bombs. He was good. Sharon Washington played Officer Jane. Stephen Perlman was Dr. Schiller, the shrink. I thought that was um, James Woods for a second until he started talking. <laughs> I don't think it looks like James Woods at all. It was like they showed him kind of like from behind on the side as he was walking through the uh, rubble after they crashed the train. Or is that a different? I might be thinking of a different character. That was the the right hand man, wasn't it? Uh, which one? Doctor Schiller. Who's the shrink in the office? That's uh, he's just there for the the that second phone call, technically. Oh no, no, I'm not thinking of that guy. I'm thinking of the guy who was with Katya. Mm, Targo. That's uh, Targo. That's Targo. Mm-hmm. Played by Nick Weinman. Yeah. That's the guy I thought was James Woods for a second. Oh, okay. And then he started talking. Yeah, that could I could see that with the glasses and the face a little bit. Because you didn't get a great look at him, and then um, and later you, you you get a better shot. I didn't recognize that at the time of that cabbie. I think they make him drive or whatever. That's Asif Manvi. You know him from uh, Daily Show now. Oh yeah, yeah. Anybody else of note? Let's see. See, Aldous Hodge and Edwin Hodge as Raymond and Dexter's friend. Aldous Hodge is a uh, pretty prominent actor these days. Black Adam, Hidden Figures, One Night in Miami, The Invisible Man, Brian Banks. He's doing a lot of stuff recently. Another interesting aspect of this film is the alternate ending, which we'll talk about when we get to the actual ending, but it is quite different. I didn't notice this. Uh, Tony Helm played Roman. Tony Helm, UFC fighter, also um, wrestled for WWE as Ludwig uh, Borga. Mm. Was it WWE or was it Back when it was WWF. WWF at the time. WWF at the time. Mm. For those (laughs) who didn't know. I don't know. I was curious if he was doing it in the 90s or if he's doing it like now, you know. Oh, he's been dead. So uh, Ah. (laughs) (laughs) he's not doing it now. (laughs) I guess he made it to 2010, but he's dead. Mm. Yeah. He was in one of the the early UFCs, like. See if we can figure out which one it was. UFC 13, he was on back in 1997. So it would have been after this. But he was in the WWF 
in like 1993, 1994. Okay. So this would have been kind of in between WWF and UFC. We'll have to uh, put a pin in this. And see if he's in virtuosity in the UFC scenes. Because <laughs> virtuosity was, was it the same year that came out? Um, I think it was 95. It might be. Yep, 1995. Synopsis for Die Hard with a Vengeance. John McClane and a Harlem store owner are targeted by German terrorist Simon in New York City, where he plans to rob the Federal Reserve Building. Should have said bank. I don't know why they put building in there. It does not flow right. But anyways. It is a building that they are robbing. <laughs> sure is. But um, it's a little bit of a spoiler because they don't get to that until more than halfway through the movie. Right. Like You don't know why he's doing it. You just think he's a, a madman blowing stuff up in the city. Like the department store. What is that department store called that they blow up at the beginning? I'm not bon sure. Witt. I didn't recognize the name. Bon with something. But yeah, it starts with uh, Hot Town Summer in the City. It's a great it's, song. Love yeah, who sings song. it? Uh, I can't remember. Sometimes I feel like I put too much pressure on you just to know everything. The Lovin' Spoonful. Mm. The name of the song? Summer in the City. Okay. Back back of my neck and dirty and gritty. <laughs> Gets you in the New York mood, and then the the happy summer times are shattered by a, a massive bomb. Yeah, you know this one's different because there's no snow, there's no jingle bells or anything like that. They use explosions as the needle drop. The city in the middle of the summer, and he's not tied down to one location this time. He's all over the city. He's got mm-hmm. free reign. They're they're going all out. It's a big, like I said, it's a big formula buster. They're two diehards set on Christmas in a single location. Now I got free reign of the city in the heat of the summer. Yeah, Bruce Willis uh, and his team, if you want to call it that, they'd already rejected several uh, diehard three proposals with the scripts because they felt like it was too much of a rehash of the second one and by association the first one <laughs> since. <laughs> Second one's the same as the first, except it's at an airport. But uh, yeah, it, it is different enough. And to throw in the the uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, so you get someone to go on his adventure with. That too, yep. Their uh, chemistry is quite good, and they play off each other really well. I You cut out for like uh, 30 seconds. Oh, really? What yeah. was I talking about? <laughs> you started talking about the chemistry uh, between... Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, and then you cut off mid-sentence until just now. Well, it's probably something really eloquent and <laughs> timely and probably would have blown your mind, but we'll just uh, summarize it by saying, yeah, their chemistry is great. Really sets it apart from the other films, at least the ones before it, as you talked about. It's kind of a, a formula buster. And you know, in the fourth one, he has Justin Long, who's kind of his his nerd buddy he does all the computer stuff that McLean yeah. is too old to know anything about even as kevin smith help him out <laughs> he does and then technically i forgot uh, about that until i watched <laughs> it again like, oh, yeah. shit in his mom's basement <laughs> yes yes in his mom's basement <laughs> this is pre-heart attack kevin smith so it's a he's a big boy 
within the basement. Also, uh, Charlie's uncle from always hired hackers from uh, one of the hackers that got hired by Timothy Oliphant. Oh, the uh, Charlie's the the pedo uncle. Yeah, the the lawyer. Okay, with, with small the small hands. hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the I guess you know the fifth one is father and son. So the fifth one is John McLean is totally he's um senile and uh <laughs> he's got dementia and uh um, documentary he he goes to russia because he finds out his son's in trouble and then like his son is actually a spy and he's in the middle of a mission and um the son's trying to get away from people who are shooting at him actively and uh john mcclain stops him in the middle of the street and demands that he talks to him right then and there but what's he been doing in Russia? <laughs> yeah, the whole movie makes a lot of sense. So dumb. Anyways, but yeah, um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's the first one where he's got a like he's got sidekicks in the, the earlier movies, but they're always like outside on the radio. Right. This is the first one where like he's got somebody like tagging along with him throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Somebody he can touch. <laughs> And reach out and touch somebody. <laughs> reach out and touch me. Uh, so, bomb goes off pretty much immediately. Police get a phone call from Simon. Benson! Inspector, fall. Not now. Benson, traffic. We get to Fifth Avenue cleared up by 3 o'clock or we got the traffic jam from hell. Walter. Yeah. I think you better take this. Major case unit, Inspector Cobb. Send Sintel Simon to the pieman going to the fair. Give me your pies. Or I'll cave your head in. You see, Bombitz was just to make sure I had your attention. Is there a detective named McLean there? He's on suspension. No, Walter, he's not. Not today. Who is this? Call me Simon. What do you want? I want to play a game. What kind of game? Simon says. Simon's going to tell Lieutenant McLean what to do, and Lieutenant McLean is going to do it. Non-compliance will result in a penalty. What penalty? Another big bang in a very public place. What is it that you want Lieutenant McLean to do? Simon says Lieutenant McLean is to go to the corner of 138th Street or Amsterdam which is in Harlem, if I'm not mistaken. Kowalski! Lambert! You know where to find McLean? Well, I kind of doubt you're going to find him in church. Well, you better find out what rock he's under. And kick it over. He's got to go to Harlem and just hang out, right? He's just got to go meet some people, ask some questions, investigate, right? Yeah. Of course, uh, John McLean, he's uh, on suspension for unknown reasons. Uh, which means he's been day drinking because his life is shit. <laughs> How is he a still t- on the force? A two-time national hero <laughs> who thwarted the biggest terrorist attacks in world history, basically. Twice. Is somehow on the outs with his local police department. Of course, the, uh, the this is the first time also that he's actually patrolling the streets of his own city. You know, in part one, he was a New York cop in Los Angeles. 
part two, he was a Los Angeles cop in D.C. Now he's a New York cop in New York. So these are his streets. Mm -hmm. Of course, they don't go to Harlem very often, I'm guessing. (laughs) But uh, you're going to go today. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know if they've ever really described what McLean is. Is he a detective? He's a lieutenant detective. But is he working homicide, armed robbery? What's he doing? That, I'm not sure what his specialty is, but uh, or his uh, specific department. But I know they, they said he was a lieutenant detective. Yeah, throughout the film, In he's very one, good at sure. investigating and whatnot. But I'm not sure that they ever alluded to what he what he specializes in. He's a plainclothes cop. Mm-hmm. You know that. Laundry day. He does look like shit when they get up. <laughs> and he's he's he bobs about 15 aspirin, which is probably not a good idea. He's <laughs> gotta relax those muscles. Like there's a there's a reason why they put a dosing limit on those things. But uh <laughs> I noticed uh so they're so they they're in a van and they're ready getting ready to drop him off in Harlem. And they're gonna stop like Ten blocks down or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And um on the radio they just oh by the way, fourteen dump trucks were stolen last night. Yeah. <laughs> that and they have to tell you what that cop's badge number is before they let McLean out. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they're all playing the lottery and he's mm-hmm. been playing his badge number for fifteen years or whatever. Must be uh, a real uh, lucrative lottery with only four fucking numbers. <laughs> Top prize, $1,000. <000. laughs> yeah, so many combinations we have here. And everybody <laughs> plays every week. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, do they still have the, here in Minnesota, they had the daily three forever. I don't know if they still have it, where you would pick three numbers and you could uh, win like 5,000 bucks or something. I'm not sure. You know, I know they still have go for five. I don't know how that works. And you pick five numbers. Is it like, because like so. Powerball and Mega Millions, that's five numbers plus the Powerball or, you know, the Mega Ball. Six, six, yeah, the Mega Ball. <laughs> so that's six numbers and those could be double digit numbers, you know. In fact, most of them are because it goes from like zero to 50 or 60 or whatever. I'm not sure. The go for five is a smaller uh, jackpot because it's just for the state. The other ones are national. That's why they're bigger. But I don't know. I never played the go for five. I, I played Powerball or Mega Millions once in a while when it's really big. Yeah. Best time to do it. <laughs> of course, Powerball would lead you to believe that it's always big. Yeah, we play Powerball once in a while, but it's very expensive now. It's two dollars a ticket, and my wife likes to buy some tickets. You know, when they uh, get paid, you know, it's just payday. Let's get a Powerball <laughs> ticket. I'll say something to the, our son. You know, he not even one yet. But I'm like, oh, we got to go feed mommy's gambling addiction. We got to stop at the <laughs> gas station. She's like, it's not gambling, is it? I'm like, what would you call it? <laughs> Betting money to try and win more money. What is yeah. that? It's a game of chance. <laughs> I would call it a stupid person's tax, personally. <laughs> like cigarettes are the poor people's tax, right? <laughs> I quit paying that tax a few years ago. 
So gasoline's proud of myself. getting there too. Gasoline's getting to be the poor person tax now. Yeah. Well, you listen to Buttigieg, you know, just buy an electric car, you, you dummy. Yeah. Who doesn't have money for that? <laughs> Where does the electricity come from? Never mind that. <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> it was about a month ago, and there was a storm over, I think it was Midwest or maybe South. Could have been around Texas. Not exactly sure where, but it was like a whole city or county's solar panels were all damaged from a big hailstorm. Mm-hmm. Acres of like these solar panels, and they all just look wrecked to shit. I was like, huh. I guess that's reliable, huh? (laughs) Oops. Luckily, there was other forms of, or other ways to generate electricity in the area. Otherwise, they would have been back to the Stone Age. No. What do you do? There isn't any uh, large rivers around there. Can't get hydro. You would think that the solar panels could work with just a few dents in them. I mean, come on. You would think. Come on. I'm sure not every panel was damaged beyond repair. Or actually, well... Come to think of it, they probably can't be repaired. <laughs> I, I forget what the lifespan is on it, but it's probably like 10 years, 20 years or whatever. Because after they're done, they just have to go to a landfill. You can't really recycle them. And maybe you can now. Maybe they have some new technology for that or something or a newer plastic. But I remember years ago, like, yeah, you can't recycle those. It's like, wasn't well, it like plastic? Well, that defeats the purpose. It's a shitty kind of plastic. <laughs> You know, they don't really recycle anything anyway. It's all bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they just take it and dump it in a landfill, don't they? What's funny is I saw that on Adam Ruins Everything, and he's like the most left-wing guy you can uh, find out there. And he was like, recycling's bullshit. They don't even really recycle anything. I'm like, oh, well, then it must be true, because why would he lie about it? So what are they giving homeless people money for then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Well, rest assured, my recyclables are getting picked up. I don't know where they're being dropped off, but they're being picked up. I'm doing my part, Brett. Well, our uh, our employer also does the composting, mm. and they refuse to empty your landfill basket if it has any composting <laughs> in it. That's right. Or recyclables. Or recyclables. Yeah. So back to Die Hard 3. Die harder, die hardest, die hardest. But it's not. That's three out of five. At the time. At the time. <laughs> At the time. So yes, they pick McLean up. They give him a, a cigarette, which is his last cigarette for the rest of the film. Uh, what episode did we talk about? Where it was like the last time we can remember uh, the main character smoking, like an action star. I don't remember. Now the Bond films in the eighties. So. Roger Moore doesn't really smoke cigarettes. He smokes cigars. I think Dalton had some cigarettes, but not that many. And Pierce Brosnan, first film in 95, The Golden Eye. Uh, he doesn't smoke cigarettes throughout the, his entire run, although he does have some cigars. But I think we talked about it with the MMC guys in our Die Hard 2 episode. Because he's still smoking cigarettes in there, of course. Yeah, he smokes in the airport. That was kind of like one of the last... It's like in Lethal Weapon 3, one of the storylines or the subplots is Riggs quitting smoking. <laughs> so it's, you know, he doesn't really smoke in Lethal Weapon 3 and definitely not in 4. Lethal Weapon 3 is 92. This is 95. I'm trying to think of other. It's funny in the, in the fifth element, you know, it's in the future, right? But everyone's smoking like these, like the, 
if a cigarette is three inches, two and a half inches is filter. (laughs) (laughs) Because Bruce Willis is smoking cigarettes in the beginning, at least when he's at home. And there's these big filters with like a little bit of cigarette on the end of it. Oh, did you freeze? No. Okay. Move your head more. (laughs) Start bobbing and weaving. Did you want me to respond to that? (laughs) Nothing to add is is where I was at. Because I thought you like started to talk and then like no they said it's like anywho um yeah i can't think of many smoking actors in the 90s that was the early 90s was the time for the protagonist to quit smoking you gotta dare your kids (laughs) stay off drugs and quit smoking cigarettes well big tobacco really didn't get uh you know turned on until the late 90s early 2000s yeah i'm old enough to remember the joe camel cash and my parents didn't even smoke. <laughs> right. Well, they had uh, they had banned tobacco ads on TV, but like they're all over magazines and billboards and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you get all the print ads you wanted. Yeah. And everybody had a cartoon mascot. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling before he's famous. <laughs> Joe Camel joke. I see. Yeah. So Simon says. The McLean has to wear a sandwich board that says a phrase that contains a slur. Yes. And he's in Harlem. Yeah. And apparently he hates those slurs. Yep. He hates what it says. Yes. Got a hard R on it. This is a hard R film. (laughs) Lots of blood splatter. But uh, yeah, this leads up to our next clip. Uh, We were quickly introduced to Samuel L. Jackson, who's a, a shop owner. He runs a pawn shop, right? Or is it a repair shop? It's like a repair shop. Like he he repairs like electronics okay. and uh, sells. I, I think he repairs and sells electronics. Because okay. his nephews come in with a, a radio that uh, some kid sold to them or gave them to sell to the, the uncle, and he's like giving a lecture about don't take stolen merchandise. Uh, mm-hmm. From Fat Tony or whatever the kid's name was. Tony said he found it in a dumpster. <laughs> no, he says uncle gave it to him. The, his nephews notice McLean walking in the street. <laughs> the yes. Same, you know, uncle, come here, check this out. There's there's a white man standing in the street. <laughs> Seen one. <laughs> Not like this. <laughs> and so Zeus is his name, Samuel Jackson. He sees... McLean wearing the sandwich board with the unfortunate uh, wording and the slur on it. His name is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He goes to strike <laughs> up a conversation. Morning. Good morning. You having a nice day, sir? You feeling all right? Not to get too personal, but a white man standing in the middle of Harlem wearing a sign that says, I hate niggas, has either got some serious personal issues or not all his dogs are barking. Hey, I'm talking to you. Now you got about 10 seconds before those guys see you. When they do, they will kill you, you understand? You are about to have a very bad day. Tell me about it. Sir, this is a police matter for your own safety. I'm gonna you damn right it's a police matter for your own safety. I suggest you hide your butt in my shop till the police get here. What the fuck? Oh, shit. I 
and I'm a cop. What? I'm on a case. Somebody blew up Bond with tellers an hour ago. Did you hear about that on the news? Yeah. The same asshole that did that said, I gotta come to Harlem and do this, or he's gonna blow up something else. Do you understand? Shit. Listen, I got a gun. You they should get across the gun. street. You should get across Look, the street. Start acting crazy, what? all right? Like Looney Tunes, you know, like Bellevue. Suits. A friend of yours? He looked like a friend of mine. I think the dude just escaped from some hospital, you know, like Bellevue. Two things I want to discuss right there. Is he trying to signal him? Was that by saying that Bellevue? Yeah, Bell- him, like, Bellevue is the uh, mental hospital in the area. It's it's such a cliche. It's in a bunch of other movies and TV shows yeah. and stuff. And uh, he wants him to act crazy. Yeah, but I feel like that was like a signal to uh, like get the drop on somebody. I think so. If you've ever seen the cinematic achievement that is Cop and a Half, <laughs> Burt Reynolds and uh, I'm not sure what the little kid's name is, but I feel like they have uh, like a signal with like saying Bellevue. They do like an ABC thing where it's like, what comes after L? And he goes, Bo is an elbow. And that's when oh, yeah. that's like the signal to, uh, you know, whoever's got their arms around you to give them a nice little elbow in the stomach. But I swear they also had something with, with uh, Bellevue. I also feel like that's something that's been in like Looney Tunes cartoons as like a signal I mean, Bellevue might be synonymous with uh, mental institutions, but um, I also feel like it's a, almost like it's table talk, you know, sending a signal to your partner to uh, let's start some shit. Well, the only thing that I picked up on was he told him to act crazy, and so he was trying to get him to act crazy, and he was trying to convince the gang coming over that this guy was dangerous because he was from Bellevue. So like act like you're from Bellevue, like a dangerous psychopath. Um, or, or maybe just act crazy so then they just yeah don't think much of it because he's obviously insane. Right, exactly. Yeah. That makes more sense that way, but did you know that the cop and a half was directed by Henry Winkler? <laughs> I forgot, but I uh, I do recall that now. I have no idea. That's a stay tuned. I've never run. seen it. Never not, seen it. Not next year, but maybe the year after I might pick Cop and a Half for movies from my youth. I know the at least Hunter over at the MMC, the Men I Movie Cowboys, I know he's he's quite fond of it. I think they referenced it when they talked about sidekicks, that Chuck Norris film. I've not seen that one either, although I think it's been on demand for a while. Oh, Cop and a Half, it's a great time. <laughs> Is it as good as Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? <laughs> Obviously. Everything Can't is be. better than that. Can't be. Well, we talked about the king of comedy earlier. Uh, De Niro does his uh, best. Uh, but mom, stop calling me mom. <laughs> mom. <laughs> Would you leave me like alone? A, he's a grown-up Eric Cartman, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking to? Mom. I'm Bit having me. Stop talking to me. All right. So uh, the gang, they uh, they throw a knife into the sandwich board. They're bouncing basketballs off of his head, threatening him. They're basically just going to kill him. 
break a bottle over his head, which is right after a uh, Zeus tries to interfere and he gets a knife in the arm, kind of just sliced his arm open a bit. But uh, McLean has a gun strapped to his back. Zeus sees it because the, the guys that cut the sandwich board off of him already yeah. kind of knocked him over. And Zeus grabs the gun, points it at the gang, and it gets them to a safety. There's a, a cab nearby that they kind of flag down. I, I, I guess McLean is thrown into the street and <laughs> it stops the cab. It is a cab, isn't it? It's not a civilian they, they, or a regular vehicle. Yeah, they commandeer a taxi. So it's like it's that, that guy from the Daily Show must be driving it. Yeah. I don't think he says much, but yeah, they get out of there and go back to the police precinct. Well, John makes a joke uh, that um, I wrote down megalomaniacal lunatic. John jokes about the guy wanting to fuck him. (laughs) Why you? I don't know. Maybe he wants to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) In the, in the, uh, during the phone call, put a dress on and fuck me. It might've been. Yeah. We get an explanation of how the bomb was made. They found another bomb and it's a binary liquid that uh, means two means two, which we all know what binary means now. (laughs) Of course, in the year of 2023, the year of our (laughs) Lord. And so you got to mix two liquids together. This is not to be confused with the non-binary liquids (laughs) that are readily available for explosive purposes. Yes. This is yes. very specific explosive, not by not non-binary. This is binary liquid. <laughs> it's easy to separate one from the other. Yep. And you got to mix the two liquids together to activate it, and then. Uh, Although once you mix it, doesn't that mean it's non-binary? Well, once it's mixed, I think once it's mixed, you, you would say it's uh, it's been consummated. <laughs> <laughs> You're mixing your gender fluids. <laughs> <laughs> well they found out that there there's two thousand pounds of the the bomb liquid that was stolen last night too just who's watching these warehouses and the yeah shit it's just 14 dump trucks two thousand pounds of explosive material even when i was a kid so i was i guess nine when this came out I always thought that was weird. They said about 2,000 pounds. I'm like, since when do they measure liquid in pounds? Like That too. That's they don't do too. that. <laughs> they really don't. Wouldn't it be gallons? <laughs> gallons, a liter. I, I'll, I'll go for liters. You know? <laughs> Something. But Liquid is measured by volume, not by weight. Sure. Went to high school science class, you learned that. <laughs> Probably really? junior high. Maybe even elementary. Um, I like we mentioned the guy who's uh kind of the bomb expert. Charles Weiss is the character. He's yeah. like Kevin Chamberlain. He's pretty fun. Um, he demos the the explosiveness by like dabbing it on a Q tip and then throwing it <laughs> into the uh the bullpen of the it's, police uh, it's a station. Paper clip. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a paper clip. And like he almost hits a woman and it, it blows over a chair and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> She's like careless. She's completely careless with it. Now that was that was one of the best demonstrations of an explosive I've seen in any film. It was it was good. It was foreshadowing too, because it comes back to play later in the movie. Yeah. 
And you know what? I bet you when I was a kid, I didn't realize that that's what McLean was doing with the, the crowbar thing. It wasn't a crowbar, yeah. but it was something similar. Right. But um, yeah, I think that leads up to our next clip. They're all back at the precinct. Zeus is getting stitched up. They're talking, uh, they're talking shop and Cobbs's office and they get another phone call. Yep. It's so funny because you'll hear it in the clip, but you know, he hangs up because Samuel Jackson is talking shit to him. And when he calls back, you can hear like 30 people picking up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some people are just picking up the phone and pressing the button, like the, the commanding yeah. officer, but a lot of people are like they got people in the peanut gallery just picking up the phone. Like you're going to be able to hear unless everyone's covering the mouthpiece. Even right. when you, there's going to be a clicks when you pick it up, but yeah, there's like 30 people listening in on this call. A bunch of people that don't need to be there. Like Connie. It's a need to know basis. Connie's kind of out in the peanut gallery. Like why the fuck is Connie listening? <laughs> but here is our next clip. Simon. You bought a board, walked the street, and survived. Hotman Water. Where are my pigeons now? Pigeons? I had two pigeons, bright and gay, fly for me the other day. Why was it they did go, you cannot tell, you do not know? You mean McLean? No, I mean Santa Claus. Yeah, I'm here. Ah, there after all. And your friend? Hard. Yeah, he's here too. And may I speak with him? Where is the Ebony Samaritan there now? You got a problem with Ebony? No, no. My only problem is that I went to some trouble preparing that game for McLean. You interfered with a well-laid plan. Yeah, well, you can stick your well-laid plan up your well-laid ass. That was not smart. There are lives at stake here. Not enough time, Inspector. You better hope he calls back. He will. Ricky, you want to tell those people to shut the hell up out there? Hey, keep it down here. Simon, he wasn't speaking for all of us. That was unpleasant. Don't let it happen again. So what's your name, boy? Don't call me boy. I'm sorry. It was a poor attempt at humor. I was going to send you home with a chiding, but now I think perhaps got you should join the game. The payphone in Oslo. No, wait, they say it's Norway? Juarez, Mexico. No, wait, no, wait. Now, now they're saying it's Juarez, Mexico. Forget it. Australia? He's scrambling up their system. They don't know where he is. Having fun with the phone company, are we? Simon says McLean and the Samaritan will go to the subway station at 72nd and Broadway. I will call you in 15 minutes on the payphone outside the station. No police. Failure to answer will constitute non-compliance. Do you understand me, John? Oh, yes, I understand. I understand that you're a fucking wacko that likes to play kids' games. That's what I understand. Hardly. Hardly? Well, then who are you? Somebody I sent up? What'd you do? Shoplifting, purse snatching... Cross-dressing, why? You c couldn't catch me if I stole your ch chair with you in it. My ch ch chair with me in it? <laughs> That's very exciting. Let me ask you a question, Bonehead. Why are you trying to kill me? John, John, come Huh? Why don't you come on down here to the police plaza and we'll figure this out like a couple of men, huh? Just come on down here. <laughs> 
kidding you was all I wanted Simon. to be dead by now. This is Inspector Cobb. I can appreciate your feelings for McLean. But believe me, the jerk isn't worth it. He stepped on so many toes in this department. By this time next month, he's going to be a security guard. His own wife wants nothing to do with him, and he's about two steps shy of becoming a full-blown alcoholic. One step. One step. Now, listen to me. You sound like a real smart guy. What is it that you want? Are you talking about money? Well, whatever, whatever. McLean is a toilet bug. Now, what would it take just to forget him and live happily ever after? You know, money is shit to me. I would not give up the plane for the gold in your Fort Knox. 72nd Street subway, payphone, 15 minutes, McLean and the Samaritan. If you're competent in the least, you found the briefcase. So you know what I mean by penalty. I want to thank you for that vote of confidence, Walter. Well, I thought it was worth a try. Back when you could make fun of a stutter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it uh, when McLean kind of interrupts and he's like, one step, one step. <laughs> he says he's two <laughs> steps away from being a full-blown alcoholic. You know, no, one step, one step. <laughs> exactly. So he picks him up and, you know, they make several jokes about him being hungover. You know, he's suspended when the movie starts and he's obviously hungover. And it's later he says, point. Have you been, you know, they asked me if you've been drinking. He says, no, not since this morning. You know, Yeah. He's a toilet bug. Oh, thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> uh, so Zeus is reluctant to join up. You know, it's not his problem. It's a white person with white problems and all that. Yeah. So McLean lies to him, tells him that the the bomb that they found was in a a park in in Harlem. It was actually in Chinatown. Yes. You know, I don't think it was even a park. It was just they they just said Chinatown. They found it in Chinatown. So. Yeah, I don't know if there's. Any parks in Chinatown? I don't know. I don't know New York. No. But they got to go to that payphone by the uh, 77 or 72nd Street and Broadway uh, um, subway entrance. It is occupied by a large woman. Sure. (laughs) Body positive woman. You got any, is there a reason why you can't get to the phone? Yeah, about 300 pounds worth. (laughs) Uh, And that is our next clip. Hello. Birds of a feather flock together, so do pigs and swine. Rats and mice have their chance, as will I have mine. Nice. Rhymes. Why was the phone busy? Who are you calling? The psychic hotline. I'd advise you to take this more seriously. Look, it's a public phone. What do you want me to say? You can simply say there was a fat woman on it and it took you a minute to get her off. Now, John, there's a significant amount of explosive in the trash receptacle next to you. Try to run and it goes up now. Yeah, nobody's going to run, but I got a hundred people out here. That's the point. Now, do I have your attention? As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Every wife had seven sacks, every sack had seven cats. Every cat has seven kittens, kittens, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? My phone number is 555. No, 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 wait, I didn't get all that. Say it again. Not a chance. My phone number is 555 and the answer. Call me in 30 seconds or die. 
All right, seven guys with seven wives. Shut up, McLean. I'm good at this. Seven guys with seven wives. Shut the with fuck up, McLean. He said seven wives with seven sacks. Seven, seven times wives? seven is 49. Now tell me the rest. Oh, your sack with seven sacks. What you listening? Seven... Yeah, I was just trying to hear what the fuck is wrong thing. with you. Well, I, besides having a bad fucking hangover for one all thing. All right, all right. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. It's one of those where it's if you if you're uh, privy to a lot of brain teasers over the past twenty years, a lot of them are set up like that. You know, where the answer is slightly uh, revealed in the like basically the first sentence of the question. And it's always a trick question because the answer is one. There's only one person going to say knives. How do you dial one? <laughs> zero 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 one. Just one guy, just the guy. Just okay. one guy, just the guy. Well, it was a fake out anyways, right? Because there wasn't actually a bomb. Yeah, because Simon didn't say. He didn't say Simon says. <laughs> I speak of uh, uh, Big Daddy. You know, Rob Schneider. When's the last time you saw Big Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> like 20 years ago. So Rob Schneider plays, He's he plays like a fez. He's like a he, food delivery guy, right? He's a, yeah, you play, you know, you, he works at the at the deli, but he's a kind of has an indistinguishable accent. You know, he's kind of like the fez of the group. It's like vaguely you know, we, uh, Eastern European, Middle yeah, Eastern, something like that. And they're sitting around, they're watching, they're watching TV, and Columbo's on, and he makes the comment, "Oh, you know this this Columbo, he he pretends to be stupid, but he's really smart, like a tack, <laughs> sharp like a tack, or something like that." He has a lot of uh, incorrect euphemisms and whatnot. And yeah. So listening to, to McLean, it's like God, he, you know, he's not the brightest bulb here, but you know, he figures out some of the other riddles, and I don't know, it's just kind of a mixed bag with him and the riddles. This is so funny. He's trying to read the or you know recite the the riddle back, and he so he's like, "Was seven se- se-. He's like, "Weren't you fucking listening?" <laughs> yeah, I got a bad fucking hangover, you know. <laughs> right. There's not seven the guys and seven wives. And, no, 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 that's not what he said. He's not that sharp today. What they're trying to trying to show us, they're really leaning into the the hangover angle. I thought you were going to say he watches uh, Columbo, and he always picks the who the killer is, but then they reveal that Columbo always tells you who the killer is at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll just bring it up now. I know it's a, it's tiny spoiler for later, but the riddle with the, the two different jugs in the water fountain, Yeah, there's a three gallon jug and the five gallon jug. And you have to fill one of them with exactly four gallons, one ounce, give or take will make the bomb go off. They basically explain the riddle and the answer to you in the worst way possible. Cause it's so jumbled that it does not make sense the way they describe it. Right. Because the way to do it is to fill up the three gallon, pour it into the five. Fill up the three gallon again, pour as much as you can into the five because only two more can go in the five, which means you were left with one in the three. Pour the five out of the five, pour the one into the five, and then fill up the three gallon again, put it into the five for a grand total of four gallons. Now, I should have grabbed the clip. I don't think I did. But uh, it is just the worst way to explain that. They they don't even talk about it. Because I remember when I was a kid talking with my dad, like, oh, what are they doing? I like, I, you know, <laughs> I'm nine. I'm, I don't get something like this. And I mean, it's 
it's a pretty tough riddle for a lot of people, I'm sure. I mean, my dad was always really good with math, so like he was able to dumb it down for me and when I'm nine or ten years old watching it at home. So like I said, I got on VHS right away. It was approved for me to buy because there's no tits. <laughs> but um, no, he explained it to me well. He's like, yeah, they don't really do a good job of explaining it here. I was like, well, they don't say any of that in here. It's uh, they just talk gibberish, and then they're like, <laughs> we got it, we have f- four gallons, yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> uh, how are you solving the riddle? But it's like uh, you probably shouldn't leave the bomb there for just any little kid to come and grab. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at now? So that you, you know, they they all jump out of the way, and they're like, oh, there's a bomb, there's a bomb. Get out of the way. They go back to the phone and Simon's laughing at him because he didn't say Simon says, but now he does say Simon says. He instructs them to go to a, a payphone in a subway, which is 60 blocks away from them in a half blocks. hour. 90, uh, 90 blocks. 90 blocks in 30 okay. minutes. In New York traffic. To save a train from blowing up. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bomb on a subway train and they both have to get to a payphone in a subway station 90 blocks away in 30 minutes. And which is pretty much impossible. Uh, they end up going through the park, which I thought was pretty fun. They steal uh, another cab. The fastest way, the quickest way south is through the park. Mm-hmm. So they're obviously above, north. they're north of Central Park. They basically go the entire length of Central Park, which is two miles, correct? I have no idea. So I believe it's two miles in length. It's almost 90 blocks. <laughs> no, no well, city blocks are uh, back into my marching band days. Remember that they used to say about 12 city blocks was one mile. Okay. So if you're looking at 90 miles, what is that 90 divided by 12? That's it's too much math. <laughs> it's not like we even have devices in our pockets that could figure it out, but it's probably something like five point something miles. It's like seven and a half. I think it's seven and a half. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, he calls in an ambulance to to come block for them once they get out of the park. Yep. And um, the zoo says, always... we need a fire truck to follow. <laughs> yeah, he could have called it a fire, but he calls in an officer down. Yeah, two officers shot. And uh, Zeus is like, well, why don't you call the other, uh, you know, the hospital down closer to the, the station? It's like, well, it's a different... Or like he, he calls in the yeah he calls in the the location of the shooting, short of where they have to get to, and uh, it's because the other hospital picks up the call south of the mm-hmm. that location, and it would be right no next help. to the other hospital. So, yeah, they're able to follow it like uh, following a blocker into the end zone. Well, they didn't get all the way there. Uh, yeah. McLean has to jump down through a grate on top of the train, and then ends yeah. up getting into it. Meanwhile, Zeus drives the rest of the way to the subway station with the uh, with a fare, the public <laughs> phone, <laughs> well, with a fare in the back. Yeah, it's down in the financial district, so it's a real uppity white guy. It's like something, some number Wall Street. Yeah, like okay, and um, yeah, so Zeus gets down there. He jumps the uh, the turnstile, and for that, he gets a gun drawn on him by transit. <laughs> He's a very overzealous cop. <laughs> uh, just because he jumps the turnstile. And he's just trying to get to the phone. He's just trying to get somebody off the phone so he could yeah. use it. I believe there was an incident in New York, I want to say mid-teens, where there was a confrontation, I believe, with a, a cop and a 
a person who jumped turnstiles that ended badly because that's when they kind of stopped enforcing the turnstiles. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Fairly recent, yeah. I'm not sure if, if a person died or not, but I think something unfavorable to public opinion happened. I feel like every couple of years something like that happens. Yeah, and I was thinking, God, at the time, even in 95, I don't think they're going to draw a gun on somebody for skipping the you know dollar fare whatever the fuck it is to get down there he's just going to the phone he's like not even getting on the train yeah i mean he yells at the guy get off you know the goddamn phone but the guy's like free he's already got his pistol drawn and And he's he's just shaking shaking. yeah he's just shaking (laughs) he's always like brand new he's like samuel jackson in loaded weapon one you know he's just, (laughs) just can't get his nerves under control Speaking of to live and die in LA, it's like William Peterson in the airport bathroom. Freeze! (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's Nighthawks. No, no, that was uh, to live and die in LA. I was thinking of. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. You're thinking of the the tranny stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Stallone, you know, kind of says the same. He emphatically says freeze, just like in To Live and Die in L.A., but he's wearing drag. <laughs> <laughs> we should point out, too, that that pastor who gets in Zeus's cab says to him, uh, what, you don't like white people? Oh, yeah. like it's, a, it's a theme throughout that like Zeus just like gets accused of being racist throughout by like all the white people he interacts with. Yeah. And he kind of is, but like, I don't know, I guess like he would argue that he has a reason for it. But, yeah, you uh, you wouldn't blame him as much. Like it'd be a little more debatable today, but especially in the '90s and '80s, because uh, Samuel Jackson makes that crack about uh, when <laughs> McLean says he was famous for about five minutes, and uh, Zeus makes the crack about Rodney King. <laughs> <laughs> Some bit about him being on TV. He's like, "Oh, you're the Rodney King." <laughs> Yeah, over in LA, you know, I was on TV a few years back. Because <laughs> Rodney King was only about, what, four years before this film? Yeah, I was like 91 or 92. And then you have everything that happened before that. Yes. And still, you know, things that happened in the 90s. And like, okay, I can see it. He's a, he's a bit militant, but I can see it. Yeah. And then, like nowadays, it's a little more debatable, but you could still, you know, they could just... Read off the laundry list of names, George Floyd, Eric Garner, and uh, you know so many others. But it seems like yeah, he's a little. Uh, well, he does mention you know McLean asks him, well, "Why did you help? Well, I just stopped a white cop from being killed in Harlem." <laughs> right. One white cop dies today. Tomorrow we got a hundred white cops in Harlem, all with itchy trigger fingers. Exactly. He's got a point. They try to make him, they try to put him on a guilt trip for it through the whole movie, <laughs> especially McLean. So, yeah. But you don't like white people. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, this is when, uh, I think 11 or thir- this is 13 years post 48 hours, which is kind of the first big racially charged buddy cop film. One of the first buddy cop films, but very racially charged. Yeah, and Nick Nolte wears his racist heart on his sleeve in that one. He sure does. <laughs> Although that's not really like maybe the first time it was like two cops. Although even that was like a cop and a criminal. 
Yeah. And this one's a cop and a civilian. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, they had been doing the, the race relation uh, buddy movie for years. Uh, sure. Lethal Weapon. Back to and... the Defiant one. Yeah. Back in the day. You know, three lethal weapons before this. Even even though they're diehards with Al Paul, you got black and white. I'm I'm a dust jockey because I had an accident. <laughs> I had an accident. <laughs> I shot and killed a kid. You know, I saw a, a few minutes of an episode of Family Matters a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and I don't remember this at all. But Carl Wenzel is real depressed and real kind of down. And then they show him up in the middle of the night watching a VHS tape of a news report from a year before. It was a one-year anniversary from a time where he had a a standoff with a uh, criminal who had a hostage. He didn't shoot the guy right away, (laughs) but he thought that the guy would, uh, if they let the guy do what he said he was going to do, that he would keep his promise and not hurt the hostage but the guy shot the hostage and so then they shot the guy mm. and it was the one year anniversary and so Carl Winslow also shot a person huh but he did not, he did not shoot the hostage but he felt bad about letting the hostage die well it must have been a very special episode of Family Matters it was like season one. Oh, really very they went early. dark quick <laughs> yes after that, they're like, maybe we should put this Urkel guy on a few more episodes. Just <laughs> kind of lighten the mood a bit. Back on the Die Hard 3, uh, John McClane on the train, he finds the, the bomb. Mm-hmm. It's uh, magnet, magneted to the wall. Uh, Telephone box. Fake phone box. And uh, the phone starts ringing in the station and Zeus can't answer it because he's at gunpoint. So he starts getting on the ground. Keep him up. The guy's voice is cracking. You can't handle the pressure of being down. a being a meter maid, basically. It's the is the turnstile meter maid. Where was he when that guy got choked out on the train two weeks ago? Yeah. Or two months ago, whatever that was. They can't be on every train. <laughs> they just can't. Actually, uh, I take that back. Uh, Zeus answers the phone, and because McLean's not there also, Simon says it's non-compliance. Mm-hmm. But, like, the bomb was going to go off either way. Like, there's no way they could have stopped the bomb. That's what they discussed later. Like, the chances of them being there were zero. Um, he wanted the bomb to go off, but they don't know why. Yep. And so uh, McLean manages to throw the bomb out the back of the train as it just before it explodes, everybody else is evacuated to further up in the train. And it derails into the station, knocks down some walls and shit, uh, including a path to the Federal Reserve vault. Mm. Plenty of people are injured, but no one is killed. So they saved lives. Save the day. Uh, they still don't really know what's going on. I know. Is there anything before they run into those kids? The FBI shows okay. up. Okay. Sure. And another unnamed agency. <laughs> I don't know what it was. There is another unnamed agency. And they start questioning McLean. CIA or NSA. It's, it has to be one of those. Well, I don't, they didn't say what it was. They're just like, I'm a yeah. different agency. I'm with another agency. But they pussyfoot around it forever and ever. 
ask him questions. Do they know this person? They know this person. He doesn't know any of the, with the pictures. Yeah. They finally reveal that Simon is was born Simon Peter Gruber. He's Hans Gruber's brother with that thing in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> Using the name Peter Krieg is uh, second in command is Targo. It's like the James Woods guy with the glasses. They say they targeted them in like a bombing. They slipped a bomb in between their sheets, the Ketcha and the Targo. Yeah. He was out of town, but they think they got her. I'm like, what do you mean? You... That is like, whoever wrote that dialogue, that was like too slick a dialogue. We slipped a bomb in between the sheets. I'm like, what? I don't think cops talk like that. Yeah. And you probably want to confirm your kill. <laughs> they think they got her. <laughs> But then Simon calls and he knows everybody who's in the in the van. And then we finally see Simon and he's like, you just got binoculars up on a rooftop there. He says hook, line, and sinka. So I didn't know what he's saying for the longest time because like when I was that young, I didn't really know the phrase hook, line, and sinker. And he's saying it with a heavy German accent. So he's like, hook, line, and sinka. I was like, sinka? What the fuck is sinka? Some German, <laughs> German word or something. So fishing phrase it's a fishing analogy so anyways he he tells them he he planted a bomb at a school Mm -hmm. and um they have until the end of the school day which is like three or 330 or 315 or something yep and they're not allowed to evacuate any schools and they have to shut down all the radio communications (laughs) because that'll set off the bomb or some shit yep and they're like okay I believe you. <laughs> and so all the all the radio uh, communications have to go through the 911 switchboard. For the rest of the day, we're going to handle all of the department's communications. And I'm going to marry Donald Trump. <laughs> Back when you could say that in the movie and people were like, hey, that's funny. Half the goddamn city just called 911. <laughs> she says that later when uh, Gruber gets on the, the radio and Tells the host that there's a bomb in a school. Yep. So yeah, uh, Simon Peter Gruber and his cronies go into the Federal Reserve. They, they just uh, they immediately start driving. So like the cops all clear out to go to the school bomb, and they immediately start driving dump trucks in. Mm-hmm. And from uh, the city en- engineer's office, trying to get a look at the damage. Bob Thompson from the city engineer's <laughs> office. A lot of money down here, Wall Street, you know. Let them right in, just uh, gladly. They're they're more than happy to show them what happened. And uh, once they're inside, they kind of, the ruse is that they're there for a currency exchange or at least uh, asking about a currency exchange. And then they just kill everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like they didn't even need to do the ruse. No. (laughs) It was just, I don't know, I guess it was a way to get the guy... With the key downstairs to to let them in the elevator, but I don't know. Like they, I guess they drilled in from the other side, anyways. Yeah, and all the guys like they walk through the the metal detectors that sets them off, but they're killing the guards right when that happens, anyways. Yeah, and the guy that Gruber is uh, distracting is just some nerdy bank manager. Like he's not a authoritative figure with a weapon or anything. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to do anything. So they kill them. They kill the McLean's buddy with the the lucky badge number sixty nine ninety one. Yep, plays it every week in the lottery. And you gotta you gotta remember that. You gotta put a pin in that for later. 
some guy named Otto picks up the badge and puts it in it, which is funny because I watched uh, the film A Man <laughs> Called Otto. Is that what it's called? Man Called Otto? Yeah. Uh, the night before I watched this again. It's not a very common name. It is to me. Yeah, it is to me. <laughs> I really like that movie. That was a good, that was a good movie. They got this Russian sounding or Eastern European sounding guy named Otto. He doesn't even speak English. <laughs> He's gonna pose he speak as a English, cop. do you, Otto? <laughs> He's gonna pose as a New York cop. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so they're they're going in and doing their thing at the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, uh McLean and Zeus are on their wild goose chase now. They have to go to the park and they gotta figure out um What's got four legs and is always ready to travel, which is an don't elephant. You, don't you have kids? It's an <laughs> elephant joke. I'm like, I have kids. I don't get the elephant joke. But it says, well, what has four legs and is always ready to travel, right? Yeah, because it's got a trunk always ready to go. It's probably from the 1900s, like the <laughs> early 1900s. I know yeah. an elephant never forgets. They're also afraid of mice. <laughs> Sure are. We already talked about the. This is where they do the uh, use the three and five gallon jugs to do four gallons. Yeah, all this is always just to distract them from Simon and his crew taking all of the gold. Yeah, this is our next clip here. This is kind of what reveals to McLean what's really going on. New York sounding kids I've ever seen or heard. <laughs> that music cue is great though. It's like you can steal City Hall. Dun dun dun. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were supposed to go to Yankee Stadium, and now you're yeah. like, oh shit, this is just all you know. They blew up the fucking Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. just stealing it from out from under us. Yep. Uh, let's start to make a way through the rest of this. So uh, right away, McLean goes to the Federal Reserve. He sends Zeus to Yankee Stadium, see what's going on there. I should mention that, that Simon said Zeus can live, but McLean must die. Because Zeus gives the bomb yep. from the park to a bunch of cops who aren't really cops. They're Simon's guys, and they leave immediately. Yeah. he's not. If he would have been with McLean, I'm sure they would have killed both. But he's like, eh, let him go. Yep. Because Simon is not a racist. <laughs> Even though he called him boy earlier. Yeah. It was a poor attempted humor. It was Brett. a poor attempted humor. Sure. Not funny. Racism is never funny. So, well, never say never. <laughs> McLean is uh, dressed rather distinctly as he walks into the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And uh, he talks to one of the guards, who's actually one of Simon's men, 
he says, Hey, we're, we're just about to do the, do some rounds on the ground floor. If you want to tag along, cause they're going to kill him in the elevator, basically right when they get out of the elevator. And, uh, he figures out the ruse because Otto is in the elevator and he's wearing his badge from his buddy, 6991. He sees in the reflection yep. of the uh, elevator doors. Everything's very gold and shiny in there. Well, I think the first clue was the guy called it a lift. That and he said he thinks it's going to be raining, raining dogs and cats later, which no one has <laughs> yes. ever said. It's cats and dogs. Yes, he, he kind of messes up <laughs> some uh, Eng- American English phrases that are very common and this is the German three. You don't do the <laughs> did this. This is the German three. When you put your thumb up, as I learned yeah. in Glorious Bastards. But so what Dirk Nowitzki would do when he threw up a three because he's not a white power <laughs> supremacist like LeBron. <laughs> the reveal of the the badge number in the elevator was a it's a cool scene. Real uh, McLean. You know, he has the anecdote about the lottery ticket. So oh, I got the ticket right here. And he just grabs his gun and starts shooting. <laughs> and uh, pretty much kills everyone in there. And Tar- or, uh, Sorry, not Targo. Otto has a gun on McLean's abdomen. But I guess, you know, McLean has a gun at his head. So he's probably like, okay, I could probably kill him. But he's not going to die before he blows my head off. So McLean finally does. And there's blood splattered all over that elevator. I feel like that scene's been emulated many many times but with much more uh cuts uh camera cuts i can see that uh when he gets down there uh zeus is already down there he went down the hole i guess yeah he did yeah because he didn't go to yankee stadium yet he why did he he go down the hole well he uh (laughs) i'm just wondering that now i never thought about it he thought something was up when the cops just drove away and really? just, I didn't like, get left that the scene because he's on his bike and he's just like, okay, I'm gonna take off now. I don't know. I thought he was just kind of walking around outside, and he's like, oh, let me wander down here. <laughs> he wandered down into this explosive hole. Or did he notice the dump trucks leaving? I don't know. Even if he did, wouldn't he just think that it's they're working with the city? And I mean, that was a really quick turnaround. Yeah, but he's he's not a detective. He works with electronics. He's like he's an electrician. That, Takes too fucking long. weird that he'd be that uh, curious. He's down to where the, literally the, all the gold was. They taken it out of there. He's yeah. like, what was in here? He's like, it was filled with that because there's one gold bar that was left behind. Or was this after he went to? I can't remember when he went to Yankee Stadium. No, he, went, he goes to the Yankee Stadium after this. It was after okay, and because uh, that when he's coming back from Yankee Stadium is when. Uh, McLean gets shot out of the hole with the water. Yes. So I think they're driving. I think he, they're driving someplace. They figure out the ice plan. Because Yankee Stadium was game over. That was what's written on the the game. When, when did he get the clue with 21 out of 42? That was when they told him to go to Yankee Stadium, right? Yep. That was right after the, the jugs. Okay. On the yes. phone. That's right. What is 21 out of and, 42? And so twenty one again. <laughs> some lady cuts him off, and he goes, "Who do you think you are, Hillary Clinton?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh wait, twenty out of forty two. It is this president. Hillary Clinton would be forty two. Yeah. No, Hillary would be forty three. Well, who's the twenty first? Who's twenty first? I don't know. I don't know. Oh yeah, this is where they're chasing the dump trucks. That's why they're in the car. Yeah. Yes, because they saw the dump trucks leaving. <laughs> 
They go up to the, the jump, aqueduct. He, he jumps off the side of a bridge into the aqueduct. <laughs> because they flag down a, a dump truck, which is just, so what, what's the guy's name? The driver? Jerry or something? Oh, uh, Jerry Parks. Okay. I believe. Who is a wealth of knowledge about everything, it seems. Oh, yeah. He, you know. 21st president. Oh, Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> Did you know he was uh what did you say uh, something of customs was he director of not director of customs uh what does he say fuck I don't remember he had some uh, municipal job in New York City before he was uh, president but yeah he knows uh, the dates the years that he was in office and everything yeah for a guy who drives truck all day he's somebody you want to bring along to trivia night. <laughs> That's right, because one of the dump trucks, or they, they kind of do a switcheroo with the dump trucks. Well, he just sees another dump truck. It's off by itself. Yeah, he gets into Jerry's, and then they find out they're going to the aqueducts. Mm-hmm. And they get to the aqueducts, and they're all going the wrong direction. Yeah. And the foreman's like, I don't know where those guys are going. <laughs> the dozen idiots that tore ass up the tube. <laughs> <laughs> and so... um yeah, he gets a uh, gets Jerry to drive him to a certain point, and then there's a the tail dump truck from Simon's crew is waiting, and John goes goes and kills both of them, and he steals their dump truck. Mm-hmm. So it's Jerry go. So he's chasing down the uh, on the aqueduct, and yeah, this is the next clip we have. Yeah, Simon trying to radio his guys. Dear God, you can close up now. We've reached the dam. You can come up now. Yes, you can close in now. Yes. Attention, attention. Nils is dead. I repeat, Nils is dead, fuckhead. Soldier's pal. And those four guys from the East German All-Stars, your boys down at the bank, they're going to be a little late. John. In the back of the truck you're driving, there's $13 million worth in gold bullion. I wonder what the deal be out of the question. Yeah, I got a deal for you. Crawl off mother that rock you're hiding under and I'll drive this truck up your ass. How colorful. Can't quite cut a deal. No. But uh, Simon does come up with a, a good plan to take that bomb and leftover bomb, I should say, and blow the dam and drown him. Yeah. And uh, McLean does get stuck because one of the uh, there's like a gap in the road and one of the boards gets uh, falls over yeah. and he can't uh, get it back in place. But hold on a second. Uh, I wanted to ask the uh, so when he first talks to Jerry, he first meets him. You know, he's Jerry's got a couple of quick one liners in there. He's like, You're a truck driver? He goes, No, I'm a, I'm a mortician. Of course, I'm a truck driver. But then he says, uh, where are you taking this truck? Jerry says, I'm going to the, the aqueduct. He goes, why are you taking a dump truck to the racetrack? He goes, no, the the, wa- the water aqueducts. And I'm thinking, <laughs> so the racetrack is called the aqueduct? Is oh, What is what's the name of it, Brett? Do you know? I uh, I don't get that joke. I guess there must be one of the racetracks is uh, called the aqueduct or something? I have no idea. Maybe it's in the trivia. Okay. Maybe you could look up the racetracks for New York City. But uh, they blow the dam, and uh, McLean kind of sees it coming as he's trying to lift the, the metal 
plank out of the mud, which is stuck. Gets in the truck, tries to back it up. Even does a sweet 180 with it. <laughs> but it's not enough. Water catches up and he escapes out of the window. And there's a those shafts. Those like almost like those release shafts are every like two miles or something. He gets shot yeah. out of there like a cannon with the water pressure. And then as right as Zeus is coming back from Yankee Stadium, finds the game that says game over on it. It's a little uh I mean we call those games. We talked about them before. The little metal balls with the you have to balance them in all the holes. Yeah. The baseball diamond. But uh there was a there's a sniper there that was just supposed to kill him and McLean, but it's just Zeus, so they let him go. They follow him. There is a there's a racetrack in New York called Aqueduct. Okay, Aqueduct. It's in uh Jamaica, New York. What what's it called? Just the Aqueduct? It's called Aqueduct. Okay. Not Aqueduct oh, the Aqueduct Racetrack, something. Yeah. Aqueduct Racing Emporium. <laughs> Just Aqueduct Racing. Okay. Track or racetrack. Those guys from the Yankee Stadium had followed them. The a... big A. <laughs> Apparently it's called the big A. <laughs> so as Zeus picks up McLean, there's a, a shootout. McLean ends up having Zeus disengage if you will the the anti-lock brake system of the car so he can lock the brakes and do a 180 as he's shooting out of the car (laughs) which is pretty cool but i was kind of thinking i'm like do you really need to get rid of the anti-lock brakes to do that could you just pull the hand handbrake or something oh yeah i don't know if they had emergency brakes on those cars you would think for the mid-90s mercedes but maybe it wasn't a handbrake maybe it was a pedal it doesn't work as well. Okay. I don't know. Either way, it was cool. I'm not a stunt driver. Paid off. They're able to uh, crash that truck. He finds out that just like the henchmen in the tunnel, they have uh, 250 and quarters, which is for a toll on the bridge. Yep. This is where McLean tells him, hey, I figured out what 21 is. Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> and Zeus is like, what, like Chester, Chester A. Arthur School? That's where my nephews go. Elementary school? <laughs> yep. The cops focus all their attention, of course, on Chester A. Arthur Elementary School. They find a bomb in the fridge that was newly delivered that morning. And uh, it's a guy's name, Walter. Charlie. Charlie. Charlie uh, starts working on trying to defuse the thing. He gets very sweaty. <laughs> Meanwhile, McLean and Zeus... Uh, find the dump, dump trucks. They're on the FDR. Which dump trucks aren't allowed in the FDR, apparently, but whatever. It happened. They unloaded, They offloaded the trucks, and there is a ship underneath, underneath the bridge, and they stop, and they uh, decide, well, Zeus wants to jump from the bridge to the boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> McLean goes, no. Mm, probably not <laughs> you would not survive well the the truck they have uh that they took from the germans has a, a winch on it mm-hmm. so they're like oh that's a good idea we'll just hook it on the crane that happens to be on the boat they think like this winch has i don't know 500 yards of steel cable or something because they're taking their yeah, sweet I... time trying to climb down from that from the truck down to the boat and McLean makes a crack early on. He's like, oh, that'll cut you in half. <laughs> yeah. 
meanwhile, you know, they're climbing down the thing and the, the truck just gets dragged off the, the edge of the bridge and just swings down. And somehow they manage to survive, but some guy standing guard on the boat gets sliced in half by the cable. I remember uh, rewinding that, putting on like a loop on VHS, basically. <laughs> Try and see, you see it much better in Blu-ray, mind you. But get them right in half. That's all we had in the '90s. There was DVD, yes, but I wasn't a rich kid in the late '90s. Didn't get my first DVD player until 2002. Ooh. My dad won a DVD player at a company picnic mm. in like 2000. Wow. So we were ahead of the curve. Living large. Well, even yeah. if I had the DVD player, there was, you know, Walmart in town had literally like 20 or 25 DVDs on sale <laughs> at once. And that yeah, was. It took a while. And that was in it took 2002. a while to build a collection. In 2000, I don't know if they even had much for DVDs. Like 25 was the extent of their collection at circa 2002. We didn't have Walmart till later, I think, but we had Best Buy and Circuit City and Target. Well, you lived with all the cake eaters in the East Metro. No, I, I didn't live in Edina. Come on. <laughs> what, Woodbury? Sure, yeah. There are plenty of cake eaters in Woodbury. The very nice neighborhood. I spent many a uh, Saturday at Best Buy playing the uh, demo mm. uh, video games. Speaking of which, uh, did you ever play the the Die Hard the, the PlayStation game? That was like it was like the first three no. Die Hards kind of put together. I don't think I ever even heard of that. Oh, really? I used to love playing it at the at Best Buy playing the demos. It was, it was on uh, PlayStation. I think it was Die Hard one, two, and three, kind of like together in one game, so you could like. Be at a mission at the airport in the second one. There was stuff from the first one. It was like a almost like a time crisis type shooter, but you had a you know your joysticks and they don't they didn't. Well, I guess I did have time crisis on PlayStation. I did have the the physical pistols and whatnot, but I don't know if you could use the pistols for this diehard game. You might have to use the the sticks like a normal person these days. Anywho, it was a pretty fun game, I guess. What else is there to say? Uh, well, they're on the boat and uh, they split up. Zeus is uh, given a gun and a quick demo on how to how to use it. Sure. Except for he's caught half he's caught half stepping with the safety on, not like Snoop Dogg. Mm. Snoop Dogg never gets caught half stepping <laughs> with the safety on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so yeah then, uh, Simon shoots him in the leg which is pretty funny um, McLean uh, he kills a couple of guys and then he gets in touch with the Coast Guard and they put him on hold but he finds out that the um, the gold has been switched out for just some kind of trash yeah he runs into Targo metal or something and has yeah, a, Targo knocks him out has a big guy little guy fight and he finally beats Targo he doesn't kill him though. That is done by Simon, or I should Either say, the McLean got KO'd by uh, by Targo. Well, he does, but he gets up and he beats him with a chain. Okay. He trips him with the chain and then he beats him with it. Calls him Lurch from the Adams family. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he beats the fuck out of him and then gets out of there. Doesn't kill him because Targo had just found out that uh, one of the other men had showed him that there was. 
like random scrap metal in the containers. Right. It switched so out it to gold. gold. Brings it up to Simon and the Targo's lady. Uh, she ends up shooting him. Yep. She has caught the scent of a stronger steed. <laughs> Hitched her wagon to Simon. Meanwhile, at the school, they've uh, decided to evacuate. And uh, except for Zeus's nephews and a few friends have gone up into an upstairs classroom to play cards Mm -hmm. because the cops, they think the cops are there to bust them for the radio from earlier. Right. And then they see everybody's actually evacuating and they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We should have got out with them. So Graham Greene and Connie go back in to save them because they're the only kids left in there. They're kicking down doors and jumping over uh, into windows over the door frame and they get up on the roof on the roof they're trying to jump to the adjacent building but it's too far so they're just gonna die yeah but of course there's no bomb in the school because he's not a monster it's pancake syrup in there yeah charlie runs out of time and he just gets sprayed in the face of syrup which is like his dream it didn't look like pancake syrup it was like red and very it didn't look very uh, syrupy. It was like cherry syrup. I don't know if it was pancake syrup. It was just some kind of syrup. It's like when you go to a diner and they have like the five different syrups. Sure. And it's like yep. blueberry. Well, only like literally everybody just uses the maple. Why do you <laughs> yeah. even have these? How old is the stuff in these jars? Because nobody uses it. You know, the syrup caddy should have three jars of maple, not one of maple. <laughs> One of cherry, <laughs> one of boysenberry. Fuck all that. Nobody, Just give me the nobody maple. puts that stuff on their pancakes. That's I've never seen it. It's a myth. So you find out that the real bomb is on Simon's ship. Yep, and he's gonna blow up the gold, even though he switched it. Psych. He's psych. He's gonna make everyone <laughs> think he blew up the gold, which is kind of redistributing the West gold supply. Along the, uh, well, it's like the Long Island Sound, they call it, but near the ocean. Yes. Part of the ocean, if you will, but I guess inland a little bit. And, uh, you know, McLean, he's got a hangover. He's had a bad fucking headache all day. And he asked Simon for some aspirins. And he, he has them and he delivers. He gives them the aspirin. Says, I don't need them anymore. Keep the bottle. And uh, somehow McLean has a, a, a splinter from the steel cable lodged in his shoulder that he takes up with his teeth and then spits it into Zeus's hand. Yes, they are they are handcuffed back to back on the bomb. Right. And he asked me if he can pick yeah. locks because he's black and he can do it. <laughs> I can do it but not because I'm black. <laughs> are you a fucking locksmith or what? Well, they have a heart to heart which I, I, I think is the last clip. No, because you have, I wondered about you that, but you you had text me that uh, was Zeus and McLean heart-to-heart after boat explosion. And this is clearly not after the boat explosion because they're on the bomb. So I was like, okay, you must have wanted what they said to each other after they are rescued. You're right. My bad. But no, I'm just wondering if you just texted me wrong or is that what you really wanted? Because that's what happens now. They kind of have a heart-to-heart on top of the bomb. McLean tells him that he lied to him, that the bomb wasn't found in a park in Harlem. It was in Chinatown. I think I texted you wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, 
yeah, they still uh they come to terms a little bit with each other, but you know, McLean tells him pretty quickly that hey, I got a a splinter from the cable. You can pick the lock. He gets McLean out first, and they drops the pick. The binary liquid starts to mix, and uh, McLean just starts hitting shit with like a a bar he found. It looks like a crowbar, but it's a little smaller. And he he touches the tip of it to both liquids, the red and the clear, and then he hits Zeus in the uh, handcuffs and blows them apart. It's like Barry Bonds' regimen, the cream and the clear, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's more explosive. <laughs> yep. So they get they jump off the boat and survive a what looks to be like a nuclear blast. You see the shockwave go out from the boat and they're just like fine. It's a classic 90s jump off the boat as it explodes behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does everything but freeze frames. Yeah, shoot me out into the ocean. <laughs> uh so they get rescued, and I did record this clip, so here it is. <laughs> it's not very long. How's he doing? I got shot in the leg. How do you think I'm doing? He's going to be just fine. How about you? Let's get Ricky out of there. Yeah, they found him. Are you going to be all right? I got a bad headache. Think they're mad at me? I wouldn't worry about them. They'll get to you eventually, but right now they're busy with this salvage operation, I guess. No, dredges! Dredges! Just wasting their time. There's no gold out there. What do you mean? I took it with him. He beat me. Johnny beat all of us. I wasn't playing against you. Fuck that, McLean. You're still alive, aren't you? Well, aren't you? Yeah. So he lost. Lambert, did you give him a quarter? So he calls his estranged wife Holly, who has not made an appearance. Bonnie Bedelia, in the first in the first two Diehards, is not in Die Hard with a Vengeance, but she's not in any of the ones after it either. Correct. She's alluded to, but not in. Although they do the bit in uh, number four and number five, where it's the same bit as in number one. So in in the first one. She changes her last name back to Gennaro. Mm. And at number four, the daughter does it. The Asians are all about, if you're married, you got to have, husband's got to be present. Yeah, number four, the daughter does it. And then number five, the son does it. Yep. It's a cliche. Miss Gennaro. <laughs> uh, so this uh, we get to the climax, which in my opinion is fucking dog shit. You don't like this? I like this is a kind of a thing that was uh, common in the 90s. It was kind of the same thing with True Lies where like the movie probably should have ended right there. But then they're like, let's put a, another big ass set piece at the end for whatever reason. Just like we'll extend it another 20 minutes and just blow a bunch of shit up. Get a helicopter. Problem for me is that it's not a big ass, big ass set piece. They show you the promise of a big-ass set piece. They show you literally dozens of his soldiers gathering weapons (laughs) to go do battle with the NYPD, and literally nothing happens. Well, Simon's in his helicopter with playing his cat and mouse with McLean. They have a helicopter fight. Yeah. (laughs) Gets the drop on him where he he shoots a, a neon sign that swings into the propeller of the helicopter. Thus, 
killing Gruber and his cohorts. But all this, he has like 50 men or maybe even more down below in the trucks, heavily armed, that were just getting ready to do battle with the NYPD. Not one shot is fired. <laughs> Not one. Well, they are in Canada. Canada has very strict gun laws. Yeah. What the <laughs> what the fuck is the NYPD doing up there? But um well, McLean, he looked at the astronaut all he's like, we gotta go to Canada. <laughs> like I I've always loved Dire with a Vengeance, but I was always disappointed in the ending. Like it, it's it's fine, it's cool when you know McLean kills Gruber and says the PKA motherfucker, you know, that's fine. But there was the promise of a huge set piece with a massive shootout with Literally, probably a couple hundred people. It was what it looks like. It would have been. And there's just nothing. Like it seems like they all geared up and got into the back of a bunch of semi trailers. And then when the cops were blocking their own, they're like, "Okay, we give up." Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I liked it. Boring as fuck. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Fun. You don't even get to like get the reactions of the men. There's no... either they ran out of money or they just changed the ending that many times. Which seems like it's the second. Uh, it seems like they just switched it because of the alternate ending that was filmed and that I'd always heard about, but had never seen until just before the recording of this episode. Say, you and I just watched the alternate ending. Are you telling me you would prefer that? Uh, no, because that's a bad ending as well. It was terrible. Forgot to wear his flag jacket. Very bad. It it sucks. It and it's very it's out of character for McLean too. Yeah. So in the alternate ending, Gruber just gets away with everything. It's got free, basically. And then McLean, after getting fired from the NYPD, first of all, and then tracking Gruber down in Germany and finding him in some cafe or bar or something. Yeah. And then showing up with a it was a Chinese rocket launcher. Yep. And he's taken out the the sights and whatnot, so you can't tell which end the rocket shoots out of. And he puts it on the table and he says, "We're going to play a game of McLean says." They basically ask him a bunch of riddles and he can spin it around. He can he can aim it any which way he wants, but if he gets an answer wrong, he has to pull the trigger. Yep. And uh, yeah, he finally gets one wrong. It's a bunch of easy ones, and then gets a little more difficult, and then he gets one wrong and. Fires a rocket through his own chest. Very anticlimactic. He's in an empty bar. No one around. And then he kind of trails off to it. Then he's like, kind of starts to turn around. He's like, eh, yippee <laughs> This kind of half-ass says the line. Yeah, it's a bad. The alternate ending sucks. I hate both endings. Uh, I hate the, the the theatrical mainly because the I think the movie is so fun and entertaining that the ending is such a huge letdown. But you know, on the Dire Two, you get the fight on the on the seven forty seven. Maybe it's not seven forty seven, but it's a big plane mm-hmm. on the wing. The first one, I mean, you don't even need to mention the first one. It's iconic. It's basically flawless. I think I die over the vengeance where it's like, we got, I got like a hundred men. Now I'm going to go up in a helicopter and get destroyed by a neon light. And all my men are just going to go willingly to jail, I guess. It was good. Almost like they ran out of money too. It's like, oh, movie's over. <laughs> but, but you're also right in that it feels like they 
Like this is where it should have ended. Let's give them a little extra. Let's put a little button on this, make it extra fun for the crowd. Yeah, that seemed really common in the 90s. Like yeah. going back to like Terminator 2 was kind of like that, and True Lies, and I think even Rumble in the Bronx was kind of like that, wasn't it? Like they were <laughs> like, oh, everybody's safe, and now Jackie gets to go like, drive the hovercraft and run over yeah. some bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like a 90s trope. So yeah, that was the only negative I have to say about the film because I do love it. I'd like it much better than the second one, the fourth or fifth. It's my second favorite Die Hard. If I had to rank him, I'd go one, three, oh, maybe I might even do four before two. The one, three, four, two, five. The five shouldn't even be on the rankings it, yeah. system. It should just be forgotten. But it's it's out there, so. Yeah, I'd probably be about the same. One and three are pretty even. Um, one would probably edge it out slightly. And then two and four are pretty even for me. Probably depends on which day I watch it, whether I like the second one or the fourth one better. After I watched it again the other night, I kind of realized that I know I didn't it didn't do as much for me this time around. I still liked it a lot. I still think it's a fun movie. I mean, the ending is is always kind of the same. I mean, it didn't bother me as much when I was nine, but <laughs> I would still say that I wouldn't call it dated either. And maybe it feels of its time, and there's plenty of ninety things in nineties things in there, and pagers and shit like that. But the, the payphones are maybe the most dated thing in there. Yeah, like that that stuff doesn't bother me. It just I don't know that maybe the ending just bothers me more now, or I'm not sure. But it didn't do as much for me this time around. And I was thinking, like, you know, I bet you on Letterboxd, I probably gave it four stars, four and a half or something. I need to bump it down to three and a half. And I went on a Letterboxd, and I had already rated it as three and a half, so I just kept it the same. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I still like it. It's a really fun sequel. Chemistry is great. I will give it to an eventually. Eventually. And three and a half stars in Letterboxd. What would you say? I'd give it a soonish. Soonish. Four out of five. All right. Well, I guess uh, anything else you want to talk about before we get into fun facts? One thing I had in my notes that we didn't get to is uh, Bruce Willis's plugs and how easily they are seen throughout the film. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when they pick him up. He's looking like shit uh, in the morning. Um, Because he's like sitting down. Everyone's like standing above him. So the camera's just kind of looking down. You can really see his plugs in there. He is uh yes. This is the last Die Hard movie where he has got hair. And I, I feel like, you know, like one of the next big things he did after this was Sixth Sense, which was ninety seven, I want to say maybe ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine Sixth Sense. I guess he did, you know, Twelve Monkeys, which is ninety six, I think. You know Disney Disney's the kid. Yeah. I feel like Disney's the kid and everything after that, he's got that hair piece. Even has the widow's peak, but it's everything's thick and perfect. You know, it's like Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis hair. He had that in the alternate ending for this movie. Yeah, he did. I didn't even think about it, but and now that you mention it, uh, yeah. He just type in uh, Die Hard alternate ending. Then it came all the way home. Yeah. I guess let's do some fun facts. Hey, everybody. Here's some fun facts. 
Bruce Willis suggested Samuel L. Jackson for the movie. Jackson was thrilled. He says he's seen the first Die Hard maybe 30 times. Mm. When does he have time to do that? Well, you know, he didn't really make it big until the early 90s. You know, he had that small part Juice. in Goodfellas. I know that that wasn't his first role, but that was from 1990. It was a very small role. And uh, he first garnered wide recognition from Jungle Fever, which was 91, I want to say. He was nominated at Cannes, I believe, for his role as a crackhead in Jungle Fever. Sounds racist. <laughs> Sam and Halle Berry, crackhead lovers. Well, how does that work? Isn't uh well they're sometimes lovers, but full-time crackheads. <laughs> but that's not jungle fever, is it? No, the jungle fever was between uh Wesley Snipes and his uh, Italian co-worker. I forget her name. It's a Spike Lee joint, so it's okay. But yeah, John Turturro plays her brother. <laughs> but he says the N-word and a he, lot. And he wishes to date a black woman. They do kind of do both sides, although Wesley Snipes and his Italian co-worker are kind of the main, the main plot. Turturro and his uh, object of desire are the subplot. But I see, and then they're just crackheads. All the meanwhile, uh, Samuel Jackson is the brother to Wesley Snipes. And he's an estranged brother. He doesn't. Because Wesley Snipes' uh, own father is a uh, or a minister or something. I think it's uh, Ozzie Davis. I know Ruby D plays the mother. Mm. It might not be Ozzy Davis as the father. I forget, but yeah, I've not seen it. Mm. It's worth it. Uh, it's a good movie. And then there's an ending that I will not discuss, but I will. I can guarantee you that you'll say, "What the fuck to yourself when the ending comes?" But what the fuck did I just watch? Okay, not a big Spike Lee fan. <laughs> yeah, in general. Didn't you like Bamboozled? I've never seen it. I like Bamboozled, yeah. You like all of Michael Rappaport's uh, N-word spewing roles. Michael Rappaport telling a black guy <laughs> that he's a bigger N-word than him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now you got me thinking about Michael Rappaport's herpes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he's got the cold sore on his lip. Just... That's uh, yeah. uh, That's Every every couple of weeks, I see that on Twitter. It's just like somebody's zooming in on some picture of him with this huge cold sore on his lap. Yeah, it's oozing. Here's a fun fact: uh, Sam Jackson said that Zeus is the closest character to my personality of any that I've played. I believe that seems about right. A bit militant, but cordial enough, I guess. Here's a fun fact. The uh, sandwich board that Bruce Willis wore while filming in Harlem was originally blank rather than rather than text to ensure no one was offended by the racist message. The uh, message was added with CGI and post-production. Some television Mm -hmm. broadcasts used an alternate version where the sign reads, I hate everybody, which is sometimes erroneously said to be the original version of the sign used for filming. But this, too, was added with CGI and post-production. Here's another fun fact. So, Brett, we talked about this being the the first non-Christmas diehard, but you forget that in carrying on the diehard Christmas theme, when the bomb tech is diffusing the bomb at the school, 
he sings six booby traps, four dead ends, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> During a press conference to promote the film's release, Bruce Willis preemptively told reporters that he would not discuss the April 1995 Oklahoma City bombing in any way because he did not want to trivialize that real-world tragedy by comparing it to any comparing it in any way to a fictional movie. I suppose that was the same year. Remember that? It was April, right? There we go. Uh, on April 19th, 1995, exactly one month before yep. the movie was scheduled to be released, the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City was bombed by terrorists. Several sources later reported that last-minute edi- editing was done to remove a few scenes depicting explosions out of pity with the victims. The claims turned out to be false. Uh, there may have been confusion with the television shows All My Children and The Melrose Place, which indeed had such scenes edited out at the last minute. Director John McTiernan did at one point consider either editing out the opening bombing of the department store or moving the release date back as he felt that the American public might still be sensitive to bombing due to recent events. However, Mm -hmm. Fox Studios decided to go with the original version and release date, stating that the film was a work of fiction and was already completed long before the real-life events occurred. Which Everyone is, sure changed their tune when Men in Black 2 came out that's complete, in 2001. That's the complete opposite reaction of what they do today when there's any kind yeah. of real-life tragedy like that. 9-11 happened. Like, we got to change all the movies. Get it all out of there. Oh, my God. After 9-11, they had that list of songs you couldn't play on the radio, and it was just like, you can't <laughs> mention an airplane. You can't mention a building. You can't mention... <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, what can you mention? There's plenty of shots of the World Trade Center and Die Over the Vengeance, and they even mention the bombing from 93 at the World Trade Center. The 69-91 cop mentions it. Mm. But, um, yeah. Also, egg on my face. I didn't even think about this. Just like in Die Hard, the life of McClane is saved by a gun taped to his back. Even though he doesn't use it this time. but <laughs> A gun duct taped to his back Saves his life once again. I didn't even think about that either. And I watched him. (laughs) Same day. (laughs) Same day. Yeah. It was, uh, well. Here's another fun fact. In the DVD commentary, Jonathan Hensley says that the the first hour of the film is his original Simon Says script word for word. He only changed the characters from the script. So that it would actually feel like part of the Die Hard franchise. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes sense too why they went to introduce Simon to live play the room. Sure. Here's a fun fact. The water bottle riddle came from a problem on an exam Jonathan Hensley couldn't figure out. <laughs> Probably why he wrote it the way he did. Like, you're going to write a bunch of gibberish here and uh, hope that works out. So Simon Gruber is revealed as formerly being a part of a special crack English-speaking German military unit like in the Battle of the Bulge by the FBI. He flaunts this by correctly using idioms such as Holy Toledo. This is in stark contrast to Carl, Simon's flunky who gives himself away when he, when he thinks Indian summer means it will rain dogs and cats instead of being unseasonably warm. <laughs> and additionally, he gives himself away by not saying the normal version 
of the phrase for rain, cats, and dogs. But kind of mentioned that earlier, but thought it was worth uh, pointing out. I remember talking about the, the Battle of the Bulge. Because he's like, English speaking. He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> English speaking German troops. So the park on the top of the Wall Street station in the film was a vacant lot that was made into a park for the film. And then it was turned back into a vacant lot after the filming was completed. Why don't they just leave it as a park? (laughs) (laughs) Anything else of note? There's plenty of them on here, but anything else that jumps off the page at you? I think we can wrap it up. Uh, I guess this is probably the last one. The sex scene between Jeremy Irons and Sam Phillips was added in at the last minute because John McTiernan knew that the film would get an R rating. And he might as well put in a sex scene. <laughs> Very hastily put together a sex scene. They waste they waste no time getting down to it. <laughs> no. Of course they get interrupted very very quickly, also. All right. Um, so next up we'll probably do another recently seen soon, and then we're gonna be doing Leon the Professional, a breakdown of the international cut of Leon the Professional. So until then. You can reach out to us. Uh, you can support us in several ways, one of which being uh, purchasing merchandise from our spring website. What is that, Brett? Watch watch this movie.creator-spring.com. There it is. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brett at positivelywolf1 which is also his letterbox profile. Mine is under Eric underscore Mulder. Please rate and review, subscribe, and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many other podcast apps. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case. And who's the bad guys? Guys who sell drugs. Guys who have guns. And who's the good guys? We're the good guys. Who's going to help you? Nobody. So who's going to help? We're going to help ourselves. And who do we not want to help us? White People. That's right. <laughs>